Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a Vision for You special edition, the Sunday special edition. Today is Sunday, June 17, 2018. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, June 15, 2018 are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study is 11543. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study meeting, it's 11544. Let me repeat those. 7 a.m., 11,543. And the 10 a.m., 11,544. This morning, A Vision for You presents Probably No Human Power, A Story of Transformation. This line is in particularly found in the AA Big Book. It's in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 60. Look to find it next to the letter B. It's one of those pertinent ideas. The Big Book is riddled with stories, examples, and proof that of ourselves as compulsive overeaters and human could not effectuate the needed transformation. And we'll hear about a story just like that today. Step one, we are powerless over alcohol. Our alcohol is food. We are powerless over it. And not only that, and of course that would indeed be enough on its own, we've got to spice things up. Let's add another element to our case, that our lives became unmanageable. Because of the booze, the food, well, nope, not that entirely, alone, unmanageable as a condition of disease. The alcoholic cannot manage his own life, drunk or sober. No human power. This is our experience. Giving this further certitude, i.e. depth and weight, Dr. Jung and Dr. Silkworth through the documented studies have stamped their seal upon the idea. Experience shows us with all the effort and resources at our disposal that nothing outside, nothing around, no mother, no father, no sister, no teacher, no mentor, no guru, priest, therapist, psychiatrist, acupuncture, lobotomy, etc., created in us the ability to put down the drink or to successfully manage our own lives. Roland Hazard symbolically reinforces this per- second pertin- pertinent idea. After consulting doctors, clergy, and family, he was treated by a world-renowned psychiatrist, but after a year with this treatment, succumb to the desire again. He drank. How come? How come? He was dry and had been. This story shows by example that this fatal malady is beyond the well-intentioned, well-educated helping hand of another human being. But there is good news, as with Roland, we who have suffered to Hades and back, trying to affect a positive way out, have found that this power, greater than human aid, and these personal, in, with these personal stories, they abound. And like Roland, seeking a higher power outside of human power have found that we haven't had to drink again. No human power. How do I get this power? Well, when I get in my heart, and I get it in my heart, nothing outside of my human power or anyone's human power is going to come to rescue me. And I need to quit looking. Our guest speaker is going to describe for us her spiritual odyssey of hope and promise with a a power beyond human aid. She is a recovered compulsive overeater and a sister of the family in recovery. And she's here to present her story today. 
Please help me welcome to the line this morning, Elizabeth D. We're so glad that you're here. Good morning, Elizabeth. Press star one, please. Hi, Melanie. Hey, good morning to you. Good morning. I'm grateful to be here. I'm sorry for the, for the delay. Um, my name's Elizabeth D. I am a recovered compulsive overeater living outside of Boston. Um, the first thing that I'd like to do is dedicate my remarks to my dear dad, who himself struggled with addiction in his life and who passed away six or so years ago and who lives in my heart today. Um, probably be helpful to begin with some statistics. Uh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm 60 years old, uh, just turned 60 in April, um, much to my surprise. Uh, <laughs> I am a mother of a 14, soon to be 15 year old daughter uh, I adopted my daughter from the country of Kazakhstan in 2004. I'm raising her on my own. I am a single mother working full-time. And uh, Emily is her name. Emily and I, as I said, live outside Boston. Uh, I've been in OA um, for 30 years. I came in in 1988, um, and I have lost and gained um, hundreds of pounds in, in that time. Um, at the present time, I'm maintaining uh, a weight of about 140, 143, give or take. I'm 5'5", five five and um, I am, um, to the best of my knowledge today, a healthy person uh, in my body. So I'd like to um, start by just sort of outlining what I would like to do, sort of giving you a, a roadmap of what I hope to talk about while I'm on the line. Um, uh, the first part of my remarks will be to share an overview of my 30-year journey in OA, um, started in 1998, um, and it's in three chapters. Um, each chapter is roughly 10, year, 10 years long, roughly. Um, I, the first chapter is entitled, Gaining 100 Pounds in OA. Yes, you can gain 100 pounds in OA over 10 years. Um, the second chapter of my OA journey is entitled, quote, Food Plan Weight Loss and the Steps. And the third uh, chapter of my journey is entitled, Abstinence Without a Higher Power, Working the Tools. And following my, um, I'm trying to try to go through that fairly quickly. And if, if you're new to OA and you're on the line, um, my recommendation um, would be to listen very carefully to this early part because um, I'm going to do the last part of my remarks will be focused on the big book and um, my current path, um, which is um, working the steps of Overeaters Anonymous every single day in my life um, in abstinence. And um, I'm going to share some passages from the big book that have been transformational for me when they hit me at the right time, uh, God's time. Um, I have a higher power whom I call God. Sometimes I call God, sometimes we call higher power. Um, it is the higher power of my understanding. 
So um, let's begin. Um, uh, oh, and by the way, chapter four, which is my current path, is entitled Probably No Human Power, dot, 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 a story of transformation. So this is where we come to the subject at hand. So what I'm trying to do with the first um, part of this is to sort of set up a scaffolding for my talk and give you the bare bones of my journey in a way. And then in the second part, um, talk about my, um, my experience of my higher power and how that experience has transformed my life on a daily basis. So um, chapter one, um, 1988, I found myself in a psychiatrist's office. Um, this was the first of many um, very caring medical professionals that I've worked with in my 30 years. And I, I want to make a, have a, do a little aside here and talk a little bit about medical professionals. I um, was in her office because I was um, coming off of a, very uh, bad romantic breakup with a man, my first adult love relationship, and I was um, devastated, drinking heavily, binging my brains out like I'd never binged before, and climbing up the scale. My weight was, was climbing. So I found myself in the psychiatrist's office, and she said to me, um, now we, we can work together. I also suggest that you start going to um, meetings of Overeaters Anonymous. She just happened to be, um, or maybe she was put in my life because she is, um, a, uh, was a specialist in eating disorders. And she said I should go to OA. And I said, well, why should I go to OA? What's, what's that about? And she said, it's the best free therapy you'll ever get. And you will learn the limits of control. That went completely over my head. I had no idea what she was talking about. So the next, so the next 10 years, um, I was going to OA meetings on and off. Um, and I was hearing about the tools, and I was taking what I wanted and leaving the rest. Um, sometimes I sponsored myself um, and got a food plan from a commercial diet. A, a company and figured that was the way to work it. So it was all about me fig figuring out how I was going to work this program. There was talk of spiritual recovery, and I'm sure there were big books in those meetings that I went to um, at that time, but I never saw them. And if there was talk about the 12 steps and about a higher um, and um, the 12 steps of AA, I put up my palm immediately and said, "Nope, uh, that's." AA, that's not for me. I am, um, I am not a, quote, drunk, unquote. Um, I have, um, if anything, I come from a family where we practice those polite, socially acceptable um, addictions like smoking and um, eating, eating excessively and um, struggling with weight and diets constantly with the underlying theme that if you, especially for the women in my family, if you can just get thin, if I can just get thin, then my life would be perfect and I would meet a significant other, a man who would validate me. So that and, and a sort of compulsive perfectionism that caused me to wake up every morning wondering how I was going to keep up this double life that I was leading. And all the while, going to OA meetings and 
people may have been have talked about uh, the steps and the spirituality, uh, but I didn't hear it um, because I'm different. I was at that point still comparing myself um, to people. I'm yes, well, I'm I just have a little weight problem. I just need to, you know. So um, in 1994, I um, was worried about my drinking. And so I went to a 30-day out, outpatient treatment program for alcohol addiction and put down the alcohol with no problem. Easy. Um, I, I put down alcohol, but within a matter of months, I weighed 265 pounds, which is my top weight. Um, everything hurt. I was in pain, constant pain. And I was, if you look, look at pictures of me at that time, I was kind of like the jolly, heavy woman. And, um, and I pushed my personality out there in my field and, and in my relationships, I think as a way to compensate and try to make you not notice how heavy I was and how ashamed I was. But I really lived a, d a double life um, at that time. Um, so basically, chapter one was gaining 100 pounds in OA. Um, not really finding any spiritual recovery of any kind. Um, and at the, but at one point, um, I, because I had been summarily rejected by a man, I, at one point I decided to try the personal. So I, um, because I really wanted to have a family of my own. So I went on the personals. This was during a time when personals were, were um, just coming out. And I was, um, had just finished um, Jenny Craig. And I moved, and I didn't like the Jenny Craig um, chat, um, people that were in my new place. So, you know, I was eating again compulsively, and I was climbing the scale. But I said to myself, you know, I just, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I want to, I want a man in my life and start working toward having a family. I've got a great career. It's time. So I did a personal. I met one guy for, on a blind date, and he never called me back. Um, I am sure that I weighed double what he weighed. So, of course, I thought the reason why he, you know, uh, didn't dumped me was because of my weight. So that put me into a real a crisis mode. I'm 40. I'm fat. There's no hope for me. I got to get myself to an OA meeting. And so I found myself in an OA meeting in southern New Hampshire. And it was a different kind of OA meeting, though. Um, the meetings I'd been going to were in a circle. Um, and people were sharing um, mostly uh, what they were experiencing during the day and complaining about what was happening in their lives or um, talking about the, the hurt or the pain or, uh, of, of being heavy. And, and it was sort of like group therapy, I would call it, um, in a circle. This meeting, on the other hand, which I'd never been to before, I was just desperate for a meeting, um, I just found it in the, uh, in the, um, food, on, the on the phone list. Um, this meeting was different. I walked in and they late, of course, um, <laughs> and they were all in rows. And there was a speaker at the front who was speaking, and she was telling her story. And this was odd, so I sat down and I'd never heard a speaker meeting before. And she said she'd lost. She probably talked for 20 minutes, and what I heard. Her say, uh, the only thing I heard her say was that she'd lost 75 pounds and she had, had kept it off for a year. And I'm sure she said a whole lot of other important things and, and, and talked. I know she talked about her spiritual recovery. I didn't hear any of it. All I heard was, 
I've lost 75 pounds and I'm keeping it off and I've kept it off for, for, um, for a year. I take a deep breath. Very nervous. I'm going to ask God to speak through me. So after she finished speaking, she sat down next to me and I was desperate to lose this weight because of that system of belief that I had inherited and, and encouraged in myself that to be thin means to be wealth worthy and to be worthy means to have a man in your life to validate you. And I had to get this weight off at age 40 if I was, if I was going to have my heart's desire, which was a family. In addition to the career, the career was going fine. So I sat down next to this woman and I looked at her and I said, can you help me? And she looked back at me, and I'm not kidding. She rolled her eyes, and she said, I'll talk to you later. So she talked to me later during the break, and um, she gave me a food plan. And that food plan was her food plan. Um, it was weighed and measured. There was no flour and no sugar in it. And um, all the meals were to be weighed and measured, which I thought was very strange. But I was so desperate, and that is the one of the themes of my story is that desperate willingness is overrated. It isn't until I'm entirely on my knees that I am open to the my higher power's will for me. And um, I took that food plan. I did what she said. I called her the next day, and that began my cha second chapter. Um, in a way, um, on that food plan, which was given to me, <coughs> I lost 90 pounds in eight months. And I had never lost weight like that before. I, it flew off my body. And here I was now, a thin woman with an entirely new body and, a, and a sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm, it's like it says in Bill's story, I had arrived. And that's what it felt like, like I had arrived. Lucky for me, or fortunate, or the will of my higher power, this particular sponsor insisted that I get into a step study. I didn't know what a step study was, but she pointed me to one. And in those years, um, the step studies um, were closed. Um, and you know, very variety of ways to, to do them, but this is how she did it. She did it in something called an AWOL, which is called an, a way of life. It's not OA approved. But um, it was a way to work the steps over the course of a year in sequence, one at a time, and embrace the process. So I started doing these step studies, one after another. Start at step one, get to step 12, take a break for a month, go back to another AWOL. And these, were, these AWOLs were happening all over the Boston area and in southern New Hampshire, so there was, they were easy to find. Um, that was a time of tremendous growth for me in my recovery. Um, because of the OA meetings that I had been going to, I learned how to share my feelings. I learned that I could have a feeling. Um, because of the therapy, I, I, was, um, I, I um, had been part of, um, I was learning how to have feelings and share, my, and share my feelings. And I need to say something. I was going to say something earlier about medical professionals, and so I think I'll say it now. 
for my 30 years in, in OA, I, I found OA through a medical professional. And for the past 30 years, um, I have been uh, treated for a mental illness for anxiety and depression um, with the help of caring medical professionals. And um, this is an entirely, the way I see it is it's an entirely separate issue. Um, it's something um, I'm diagnosed with and that I, that I got from, from my, it's in my DNA and I have been very successfully uh, treated for it uh, with the help of medical professionals. Um, when I have a sponsee today that tells me that they are on psych meds, uh, I have only one question, and that question is, are you under the care of a doctor? If they are under the care of a doctor, then I don't, we, it doesn't come up again. That is an entirely separate issue. I am not qualified in any way to prescribe or to comment on anything having to do with a medical condition that someone may have. Just if, as if a sponsee had, um, had diabetes, I am not qualified to help them regulate their insulin um, or their sugars. Uh, so for me, um, and, and, and from my perspective, as I read the, the first 164 pages of the big book, there's nothing in those first 164 pages that says that we shouldn't rely on the help of medical professionals. Um, and in fact, um, particularly in the doctor's opinion, um, there is uh, much that talks that, that Dr. Silkwood talks about relying on on, on uh, care, uh, caring doctors to get uh, sober. So, so anyway, I just wanted to say that um, to make that clear. And I am still treated by medical professionals and very grateful for it. I have found that um, that it's not enough, but that the steps um, and working the steps um, have been um, the the key to my spiritual life and the key to um, um, finally being able to um, find neutrality around food. So in any way, during, the, during those years, the food plan, the weight loss, I was working the steps and I was, um, it was about six years and there's a saying in AA, don't let the gifts of AA take you away from AA and that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I was, my career was going great guns. Um, I'd had a lot of bad relationships and one after another and finally decided, you know what, I just want to be a parent and um, if I meet somebody in the future, great, if not, whatever. But um, I have it, I have the resources, I have the capacity, I have the discipline my, in my life because of OA and what I had learned in OA, um, I had the good orderly direction to be able to um, adopt on my own. So I went to Kazakhstan, I adopted my daughter, she was nine months old, I brought her home and um, my life utterly changed um, and my priorities completely changed and immediately um, I, I, I was single working mother and life was incredibly different. And that started the next chapter of, of uh, my time in OA which um, I'll tell you, well, first of all, um, when Emily was, was uh, before Emily was two years old, I was going to meetings and I had been doing this very structured way of doing OA, which focused on food plan, You and I was sponsoring people um, who uh, were 
following the food plan and of course you had to follow my food plan. This is a very structured way and um, in these programs you, you, uh, you work the steps in, in an AWOL. Um, at that time since I had this child, um, I, I, my life changed and I realized, wait a minute, I, I can't do the steps. I'm, I'm a single working mom, I don't have time for that. And it was that delusion that got me to um, this where I, where I where I was for ten years, which was in and out of relapse, working the tools in and in and out of relapse. So the the abs the, the relapse has got worse um, all the time. They always got worse. They never got better, and. Um, Finally, in January of 2015, uh, I, someone told me about um, a vision for you. I had tried to work the big book study process. Uh, there was sort of a shift in OA toward big book step study, which is not OA approved. And I, um, I did try, but unfortunately I ate before I could get, get to the end of my fourth step. It, um, I, was, I just was... It, it took too long, um, and um, so here I was. Uh, it was December, right on the holidays, which was is high holidays for eating for me. Um, I was going up the scale yet again. I think I had probably put on 60 pounds in a, in a month, and um, someone suggested that I go on the line and check out Vision for You, and it was there that uh, I heard uh, the message of depth and weight that I needed. And it was almost immediate and I, when I realized. Um, so that is my current path. Um, so that was in January of 2015. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that journey because this is where my, my uh, recovery uh, began. So on page 22, um, it talks about the nature of my illness. And what I, um, I had been thinking in a way, I've been hearing for years that my illness is threefold. That's physical, mental, and spiritual. Um, what I was hearing on the line is that I, I actually have a twofold illness. I have an allergy of, uh, of the body and I have, a, have an obsession of the mind. And this was complete and utter news to me um, that and right here on page... Um, on page 22, it says, we know that when the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We're equally positive that once he takes any alcohol whatsoever into his system, something happens, both bodily and mental, and a mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. So this, is the, this for me was about the allergy. And um, for me, in relapse during those 10 years, I was raising my daughter, I was going to OA meetings, and I was, um, I was n not able to, to get a spiritual, I was, I was in effect um, abstinent without a higher power. And it was, it was excruciating. Um, I, could, I was thin, and I thought that was well, and I was going to meetings, um, I was um, trying to find the right sponsor who would let me eat the food that I wanted to eat. So even though, even though I was um, 
abstinent, quote-unquote, by the letter of the law as as it was sort of directed in these very structured meetings that I was in. Um, I And these meetings also emphasize 90 days of abstinence before you can share. So that was always the, the goal. You've got to get to 90 days. If you get to 90 days of abstinence, then you, then you have you um, qualify to share your experience, strength, and hope. And the, the theory around that was that we want to hear experience, strength, and, pe- and hope from people who are not using the drug. Um, and that made perfect sense for me, and it worked very, very well for me for a long time during those six years when I was working the steps. When I was, I had my daughter at home, and I was trying to keep this life of mine on uh, in a high-demanding job, working full-time, um, I, I thought I was exception to the rule. I don't need to work the steps. Um, and so what happened for me is I started to use my abstinent food plan and eat compulsively using my abstinent food plan. So even though I was eating food that other people in my, in my meetings considered were abstinent, um, I was abusing coffee. I was abusing uh, gum at various times. I was abusing um, and overeating sodas, going from one to the next. It just was, it was crazy. Um, I had to give, at certain times, I had to give some of these things up because I knew that they were, um, they were addictive. The whole time, I am thinking, no, I'm too busy to work the steps. Um, if I just work the tools hard, or harder, if I just find the right sponsor, and oh, by the way, if I, I, I need to find the right sponsor who will let me work the program the way I want to work the program. So one of the way, what, what I was looking for basically was someone who would let me eat the abstinent food that I liked. And what I've come to understand now and later is that, that some of those, quote, abstinent foods are trigger foods for me. And I had a complete transformation when I came into Vision for You and and, uh, people started talking about what trigger foods are. Because basically, being abstinent during those 10 years and being in and out of relapse, even when I was abstinent, I was thinking about food morning, noon, and night. I was was eating my food in front of the television to give it a little extra entertainment value. My daughter, I was getting her to bed as early as I possibly could so that I could get to my meal. I was eating late at night because I wanted to eat alone in front of the TV without being disturbed by a two, three, or four-year-old. I was eating in restaurants. Oh, that became an obsession to get myself to a restaurant because then I didn't have to weigh and measure. And um, even though I was uh, very uh, firm and um, unpleasant with the wait staff about making sure I didn't get flour and sugar in my meal. The quantities I were eating were out of control. And of course I was eating certain things that I've come to understand are trigger foods. So, you know, I, I, was, I was sharing during meetings and calling myself, calling myself abstinent and at the same time realizing, you know, I, I, I wasn't realizing that I was as crazy as ever, and I, and, and I remember my daughter at one point said to me, Mom, I don't want to have any more takeout. You know, can we just eat at home? Would you just make me a meal? And I, I just didn't, didn't have it in me. Um, I uh, was, was addicted to foods and behaviors that I called abstinent. 
and living uh, a lie, basically. And the whole time I knew that, that there, was, there was something dishonest about this. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. And I remember thinking that I missed my higher power, the higher power that I had had when I had been working the steps um, one after the other um, before I had adopted my daughter. And I, I remember that peace and serenity. I remembered that spiritual connection that I had had. And I remember thinking, oh, I just miss my higher power. I, I want that back. And yet the whole time I'm thinking that, I'm not connecting with the idea that I've got to work the steps in order to make that connection to the higher power because it was all about me. It was all about human power. Just got to find the right sponsor, got to go to the right meeting, and I'll get back that abstinence that was pristine and was happy and contented. But I had no contented abstinence, very little contented abstinence when I was uh, during, that, during that 10 years. Um, and the, the, the abstinence was punctuated by month-long binges. Uh, where I would put on 60 pounds. Um, so I was really uh, not, um, not doing well. And it says on page 23, it says, once this malady has real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. And that's what I thought. I thought, and I was baffled, um, and, and became more baffled every time I got up to the podium and had 90 days and said, here I am, I got 90 days. And then six, two, three months later, I'd be sponsoring someone. I would give them my food plan and ask them to follow my food plan exactly. And, you know, and why weren't they? And, um, and, and, and wondering why I was so angry and anxious and why I hated my job and why I, um, I, I, why I kept, uh, was procrastinating at my job and a lot of the defects that I had shed during my first time in OA all came back. And, the, and I'm, people are talking about the, the steps in meetings and that the recovery is in the steps, but my palm is up and I'm not hearing it because I'm different. Um, so um, when I finally... When I finally got to, um, started listening to Vision for You meetings, I was really, in 2015, I was desperate. And I started to hear about having a two-fold illness and, and it sunk in. Um, the teacher arrived when the student was ready. Um, so, on, um, so I did the steps with a guide, a recovered guide, uh, quickly. And I realized as I did the steps quickly, oh, this is why Big Book Step Study didn't work for me. And the reason why it didn't work for me is because I'm going to eat before I get to the, I, I mean, I can't, I can't do a step study on my fifth grade science teacher that I'm mad at. I have to focus on the grosser handicaps that I, that I am experiencing. The people that I'm, I'm talking to in my mind on my way to work when I'm, um, being, harboring these resentments, I need to deal with the ones that are right in my face. And that's what this guide um, gave me. She said, let's just work on the grosser handicap. So over the course of two to three weeks, I did a fourth step. And then, um, uh, and it was, it, and it was, I really had a lot of, of fourth step, um, important fourth step work to do because part of what was keeping me in relapse were these enormous re resentments, these debilitating resentments toward um, uh, the people in my workplace um, that uh, 
basically I was uh, abstinent without a higher power. I was, I was procrastinating. I was in my perfectionism. I was covering my ass. I was not getting my work done and it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And each relapse got worse um, than the last one. And my productivity suffered. suffered. And it was, in, it, it was in the course of doing that for, first, first four step with that recovered guide that, um, that I came to terms with um, the wreckage that I had created, the way I had gotten the ball rolling and, um, and started to own up to my own part in how things had gone wrong um, at my workplace. So in that workplace, because of my eating and my um, refusal to work the steps, I was marginalized out of the job and um, got to, uh, luckily, my higher power um, put me in a job that that was much better for me and gave me the, the time uh, and uh, to work the steps. And um, so I did the steps. Um, and then I'm going to go to page 83 and 84 because the, the fatal, my next sort of fatal error um, was, um, it, says on, it says here that uh, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we, take, we continue to take personal inventory and to set right any new mistakes as we go along. So I had done step nine, and I had made amends to the, most of the people at my workplace and to other people, and I felt that sense of, of uh, God's power and strength um, and creative force coming through me, and it was amazing. And I was, felt that nearness to my creator again, as I had felt when I had been working the steps before. Um, and the sponsor at that time said to me, okay, Elizabeth, you're getting through step, step nine. And she had me read this, this paragraph. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So she was saying, get to step 10 now. When things come up, when, um, because you have entered the world of the spirit now, Elizabeth, you need to, your next function, as it says here, is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear when these crop up. We ask God for, at once to remove them. We, we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if, they, if we have harmed. Then we resolutely turn ourselves to, our thoughts to someone who would help. So step 10, she said, was absolutely imperative. I needed to set up a structure and a discipline for step 10. Um, I certainly knew how to do that for food. I needed to do that for my spiritual life as well. Because as it said on, says on page 83, in the middle of the page, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And that's in italics, so we know that's important. Um, and um, on page 82, it says, we feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. So abstinence, I began to realize, is not enough. I have to work these steps. Unfortunately, I lost my way. Um, on page 12 in, in uh, Bill's story, um, the bottom of the page, it says, um, the real significance of my experience at the cathedral burst upon me for a brief moment. I needed and wanted a God. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me, and he came. That was certainly true for me. And then it goes on, to, and Bill says, but soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors mostly those within myself. So I was thin. 
I had my heart's desire, my beautiful daughter. She was doing well. I had um, a job that I loved. I had arrived. And back came that old thinking. I'm thin. I must be well. I'm worthy. And the worldly clamors came in, mostly within myself, that told me I could, I, did, I didn't need to do step 10. I, I tried a little bit, but I never seriously found a way to get steps 10 and 11 and 12 into my life. I didn't know how to sponsor. And that self-centered fear told me, well, I can't sponsor somebody the way my recovered guide had sponsored me. I, I'm not good enough. So that self-centered fear came back and um, the world of clamors for me at that time were um, some elective surgery that I decided to have and I decided that it was time for my daughter and I to go back to Kazakhstan uh, to her birth country. Um, and it was an incredible experience and a wonderful eye-opening experience. And oh, by the way, I was abstinent. However, I was thinking about food morning, noon, and night. So on and off, even though I was, quote, abstinent, I was still obsessing about food. Um, when, I came, when I was in um, Kazakhstan at the very end, that's when the next relapse started. And it was because I picked up dried fruits. There wasn't a lot of fruit in Kazakhstan, and I picked up what had been in the past a trigger food for me. I knew I wasn't all, and it talks, Bill talks about that. I knew, or one of the stories, I wasn't being all too uh, smart by taking, picking up these dried fruits, but I did anyway. And it wasn't long before it was October 2016, and I was head first, headlong into the food. Um, and I went from about 140 um, and to over 200 pounds within a matter of uh, a month and a half. And on December 26th, uh, I, I was done. Um, I was absolutely done. Uh, on page 50, 58, um, if you, on, in How It Works, it talks about honesty. And if you look at the first uh, 164 pages of, of the big book, the word honest is mentioned 20 times. Um, and for me, um, that's what needed to happen. I knew where I could find the steps, and I knew I needed them. Uh, in order to, uh, and I and I had to fall back into my higher power. So I um, I detoxed uh, over the course of of several days, and I listened to the Vision Few meetings every day. Um, I asked some questions, and I finally and I found someone. I grabbed their hand, who was recovered, and got through the steps again in a very short time. Um, this particular guide. Um, Suggested that, uh, suggested that what I need, needed was a new open mind and a new experience of the steps. So this is where I am, um, where I am today. Um, and I, I want to share a couple of passages that mean the most to me. Um, and we'll sort of, uh, um, in this time I have left, talk um, about my journey in, um, in coming to where I am today. Um, and where I am today is... Um, is happy, joyous, and free. I wake up in the morning excited. I jump out of bed, and I think to myself, what does my higher power have in store for me today? I have, I have a rough plan, but I get into quiet time, and I say, God, your will be done. And I spend the day 
and I, I think about how exciting it's going to be, and I think about, I wonder what, what people God's going to put in my path. This is so different from the way I lived my life before. The way I lived my life before was I would wake up in, a, in complete dread, dreading the day ahead. What was I going to have to do to make sure nobody would figure out that I couldn't do this job? What was I going to have to do to cover for the procrastination and perfectionism that I was practicing in my work? What was I going to do to make sure that I controlled everything that happened in my daughter's life so that she would be safe? I was in constant fear. Today, the promises have come true for me. Um, and I have, in large part, outgrown fear. Now, mind you, I have fear. And in fact, on Friday, I had tremendous fear about doing this special edition. And, uh, it, and it was uh, on page 67, it says, uh, very importantly, um, on page, on page 67, it says, Fear, this short word somehow touches every aspect of our life. It is an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through. It set in motion trains and circumstances which brought us misfortune. But we did not, in our, didn't, but did we not ourselves get the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. That was a transformation for me when I heard those words at the, at the, at the time I was working the steps this last time in uh, January and February of 17 um, because I realized in a second that all that procrastinating that I was doing at work, all that wasting of time, all that eating, all that planning of my eating was keeping me from doing the work that I was being paid to do. My productivity at certain times when I was eating or when I was um, crazy, um, um, abstinent without a higher power, um, I, I was, you know, 40, 50% productivity. And that was because of the fear that I had that I couldn't do it perfectly. And it was keeping me from getting started on projects. And that needs to be classed with stealing. And when I saw it that way, I realized, my gosh, I'm stealing from my, I haven't, and it became clear to me just how serious this, this is and how serious this fear problem is and how much I need to be dependent on God. And it says, um, it says on page 98, um, another important place, it says, um, it's the minute we put our work on a service plane, this is in working with others, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than God. Um, burn this idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. So for me, that means it doesn't matter what sponsor I have. It doesn't matter the food plan I'm on. What matters is that I am seeking God and I'm growing in, in God's uh, will. When I was in relapse, I felt stuck. Um, and it felt like I had to sink my way into getting out of relapse. And you can't fix something that's broken with a broken tool. My thinking was broken. And I needed to let go of my thinking and start living and, um, and let, allowing God to direct my actions. And, and that meant prayer and reliance and getting, getting out of my own head. And an example of that I want to share, um, which 
is significant for me is that when I went through that detox period in this last last time I worked the steps, um, I knew I had to get on, back on my food plan because food plan because I was uh, a food plan because I was binging terribly. The only food plan I knew was the food plan that I had gotten in the structured OA of 90 day 90 day OA. And so I knew what an abstinent food plan was. And I said, okay, I'm going to go back to that abstinent food plan. But what do I do? I don't have a food sponsor because in 90-day OA, you have a food sponsor. You commit that food daily to a sponsor and you do what they, they you know, you do what they do. Um, but I didn't have a food sponsor and I'd been through so many, I didn't know where to find one. And so my first surrender was saying this prayer, God I don't know if I'm supposed to have a food, food sponsor, but I know what abstinence is, and I know from having worked the steps before through the big book in a vision for you that I have to have entire abstinence in order to work the steps effectively. So God, I'm going to let you put a food sponsor in my path if you want me to have one. Meanwhile, I'm simply going to go back to the food plan that I've always relied upon, and oh, by the way, those sun-dried tomatoes, Elizabeth, that you've been eating, they got to go because I was eating one leaf lettuce of lettuce and the rest was sun-dried tomatoes. It's just like dried fruit for me. It's a trigger. Anything dried because it's concentrated sugar and my brain doesn't know the difference between refined sugar, concentrated sugar, or artificial sugar. It just wants it. That's how my disease is triggered. So in that moment, I realized if I'm going to get entirely abstinent, that trigger food has to go. And that was the beginning of my reliance upon a higher power in a whole new way. Because now, God was my sponsor. And I was committing my food to God every day on my knees, saying the third step prayer and then saying the following prayer. God, I offer my food to thee, can't nourish my body even as I look to you to nourish my soul. And, and then I would say, if I'm supposed to have a food sponsor, God, put one in my path. Meanwhile, God, I need a step sponsor, a, a step guide. So God put a step, as I said, God put a step guide in my path. And over the next two months, I had a new experience of the steps. And um, by the way, a food, a food sponsor never showed up. Um, it was God's will that I give my food and, 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 and um, uh, commit my food to God. And, um, you know, honesty is a very powerful thing. You can't BS God if God is inside you. So there have been things that I've had to give up for the, over the last year and a half. Certain foods that trigger my disease that I have to give up. I, I have had to give up. And it's not a black and white thing. It's not like I broke my abstinence. It's that because I have God in my life today uh, and because I sponsor people, every time I sponsor a new person, we go back to step one. And I can't ask that person who's doing step one to look at their trigger foods and think about what they're bargaining about in their food and what they're negotiating to try to keep, which is on their yellow list. I can't go through that process and not do it for myself in that day. So by sponsoring people, I am, back in, I am back at step one every single time. And that is what keeps me connected to my powerlessness. 
one of the things that I had to uh, do this last time was um, there's the chapter called We Agnostic. Well, I, I've re-entitled it for me. It's called Me Agnostic? No. How could I possibly be agnostic? I've been a churchgoer all my life. My dear dad used to call me the spiritual advisor in our family. I was the one who always did the, the grace at meals. I am a person of God. But what I began to understand um, with the help of this um, uh, recovered guide and with, and with the help of so many other recovered people that I met along the way um, was that I had this prejudice. And on page 45, it says we shared, uh, uh, it talks about um, uh, atheism and so forth, but it talks about prejudice. It says some of us have been violently anti-religious. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him which, with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. This is me. I was trapped in my own denial and self-will. I had decided that God uh, was not capable of helping me with my, with my um, disease. That's my job. So all those years in relapse, those 10 years in relapse, I thought that I had to find the way out of this problem. And, and, oh, by the way, I don't need to work the steps. And I go to church, but what I didn't understand is that, um, that there is a God, and I need to believe in that God, and I need to believe that that God believes in me um, the way I believe in my daughter. So I don't just believe in God. I believe in God, that God can do for me what I can't do for myself. And... So that prejudice was, in a flash, lifted away from me. And I had began to feel the nearness of my Creator in a way I had never felt before, which even surpassed that those early years in OA when I had been doing step studies. This was entirely new. And um, I wanted to share, uh, I think I have, I think I'm going to take five more minutes um, Page 68, uh, there's a great line that I love very much. It says, um, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? And then down a little further, at once we commence to outgrow fear. Uh, my daughter tore her ACL recently in track, and I was called to pick her up. She was crying violently, and... Um, I found myself dealing with the situation in a way that surprised the heck out of me. Uh, calmly going about doing the things that needed to do, needed to be done, and not in a panic mode. I wrote about it in a text to a, a fellow, and she wrote back and she said, ooh, sounds like you're matching calamity with serenity. <laughs> and I realized uh, that, that that's exactly what God was doing for me, what I could not do for myself. So I no longer live with the imposter syndrome. I no longer procrastinate at work. I do the first things first, and God shows me what needs to be done. Um, in page, on page 8, um, it says, um, it says uh, I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Um, I'm living in the dimension of the spirit. Not every day. There are days when I fall into panic, um, but they don't last more than a day because I follow good orderly direction, G-O-D, and I go to bed early and I stay abstinent. 
and I work these steps in abstinence every single day and I sponsor people and I would not go back to the life I had even if I could like it says in 43 which is a life was a life of anxious apartness and I'll end by saying that the <laughs> if you really want to know I'm, I, I don't feel as though I've done a very good job of, of telling my story I felt a little self-conscious while I've been while I've been talking but if you really want to know how I live my life today um, find Van Morrison and and there are two songs I recommend the first one is and it stoned me and the second one is days like this and if you listen to those songs you'll understand how I live my life today and it's better than I ever 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 could have imagined and I'm grateful to be on the line today um, sharing as best I could to the best of my ability thank you oh thank you Elizabeth D you truly offered a lot to the fellowship today the evidence of the transformation was distinguished decidedly in my mind that any way that God does for us but probably no human power can thank you very much we will ask Elizabeth. Yeah, great. Uh, we will ask Elizabeth D for your contact information at the conclusion of this meeting today, if if that works for you. Fine. But for now, but for now, I'd like to open up the lines for anyone that might have questions for you today. So if you want to hang tight, I'm going to do that. Everyone that would be interested in asking a question of Elizabeth, just press star one on your phone keypad. That'll unmute your phone to be able to speak. And if you give your first and last uh, first name and last initial, that would be helpful for me. Lisa T. I heard somebody before Lisa. I'm sorry. Stacy. Stacy, that's what I heard. That's probably what I heard before, instead of uh, Lisa. Anyone else? Allison E. Allison E. Simba. M. Simba. M. Uh huh. Cassie K. Kathy K. Anyone else with a question for Elizabeth? Okay, we'll go with that so far, and we'll see what happens next. I have Stacy and Allison, Simma and Kathy. Good morning, Stacy. Your question, please, for Elizabeth. Good morning. Can I be heard? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth, for your share. It was really timely and helpful. They always are. And there are some big takeaways that I have and a question. Um, I've been continually encouraged um, by my steps, by my guide, as well as some other fellows that I um, am not as engaged with 10, 11, and 12 as I, um, as the book tells me I need to, and that I suffer the consequences as a result of not enlarging my spiritual life. Well, my question for you is, um, as I continue uh, surrendering my perfectionism, um, I had some of that same fear that you described about um, not doing it good enough, um, just not doing it good enough and comparing myself to how I was guided. And I'm wondering if you could just share spiritually um, how you prepared yourself or what you said when you um, take somebody through in, in the very beginning just to 
stay grounded in that you're not the higher power. I, I would benefit from hearing that so I can continue um, reaping the benefits of what this program tells me is there for me. Thank you. Um, Stacy, that's such a great question, and um, I was hoping that someone would bring up steps 10, 11, and 12 early in the Q&A because they are, um, for this addict, if, 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 you, if, if anyone is a real compulsive overeater like me, um, ignore steps 10, 11, and 12 at your peril. Um, that is what I did. Um, I didn't think I was good enough to sponsor. I didn't think, um, and I didn't do the work uh, take the time to the first time I went through um, the steps to um, uh, in, with the big book uh, to set up that daily practice. So for me, it's a for me it is a daily practice. Ten, eleven, and twelve. And I'll I'll give you an example. Um, on Friday, um, I was in a state of panic about the special edition. I was literally, I was running around my house in a rumination circle, like perseverating. I, I was going from room to room, like I got to get this thing done, and then I got to get that thing done. I got to get this thing done. I've got to do this right, and I have to do this right. And and I could feel the anxiety growing, it went, and it became physical. And uh, the whole time I'm thinking, but you have to write this outline, and you ha and it has to be perfect, and it's got. And I, I could see my own thinking. One of the things that recovery has done for me today is it's given me the capacity to see my own thinking. And, um, but I was, really, I was really in a mess. So what I do today is I just simply go back to that good, orderly direction, um, which, you know, as you know, is, it stands for God, good, orderly direction. And that is when I am really desperate, I, I reach out and I and I get out of my isolation, I talk to recovered people, and I do a fear inventory. Um, 10, 11, and 12 are basically, for me, the, the first, it's, it's the first, um, it's, it's four through nine um, that I'm doing just on one particular issue. And for this issue, I had to do, I had to, I had to do a 10, 11, and I had to do 10, 11, and 12, I had to do step a fear inventory on my fear of doing this. Uh, so here I did it. What am I afraid of? Not telling my story well enough on the special edition line on Sunday. Uh, um, I was afraid I'd continue to be tied up in knots and won't come up with an outline in time. I won't impress people that I admire. I won't be perfect. I'll be in self-centered, and I was in self-centered fear, afraid I won't do a good job. So I did what I always do. Um, I ask God to remove my fear and direct my attention to what he would have me be. And then I think about that and I pray about that. And um, I made a couple of phone calls and God spoke through my fellows. And one of my fellows said to me, you know, you're not there to impress anybody. You're there to reach one person who needs your story. That's it. So I heard the things that I needed to hear. I relaxed. I went to bed early and I woke up. And yesterday I was completely without fear. Um, for me, this issue of not good enough and comparing is the it's it's the root of my of my addiction. And when I am trusting and relying on God, there is no perfect. 
when I'm trusting and relying on God, it's as if I am on, on a stage and I'm being fed the lines that I need to say. It's like I have a clear channel. So I don't have to worry about what's coming next because God is giving me what I need when I need it. That's why I have to listen to the song and it stoned me because that's what Van Morrison is talking about. And so another fellow that I, I spoke to yesterday talked about, um, <laughs> talked about the, uh, that my job is to keep the faucet clean and ungunked and unclogged so that God can be the water that flows through it. And 10, 11, and 12 is how I do that. When a resentment comes up, I, I immediately have, go to my structure of my, of my questions, I go through them, I, and I, I, I give it away to another person, and then I get into service. So it's the, the, the scaffolding works, and what it allows me to do is keep my channel open to my higher power. And I have outgrown fear. <laughs> um, as I said, there are times when it will come back but I know what to do now. I fall back into my higher power and I trust God. And I, I don't live in it. And every day, every day it gets a little bit easier. So that's how I'll... Thanks for the question, Stacy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stacy, for the question. I want to be real sure. Did I hear a Lisa B that was interested in the question? Perhaps not. Okay, I just wanted to be sure that I didn't skip anyone. Allison E., then your question, please. Sorry, Lisa B., yes. Hi, oh, you did hear, I did hear Lisa me? B. Sorry, I was muted. I apologize. Oh. Yes, please. Thank you. Okay. Um, I have a couple of people on the line here. Allison, if you would hold for me just one moment, and then I'll have Lisa B. go first. My apologies for that confusion. Sure, no problem. Thank you. Hi, Lisa. Your question, please. Hi, sorry about that. Uh, um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your story. It was wonderful to hear you. Um, great to hear you on the line. Um, my question for you is you mentioned um, when you went through the steps in a rapid way, you went through your, gross, your grosser handicaps. You didn't go through like your fifth grade teacher and your resentment towards that person. Can you describe a little bit about, about what those might be when you think about like the grosser ones and not the minute ones and what the more important ones, if you don't mind sharing about that? Okay, the more important ones. Um, yeah, what it, what it was what it was impressed on what I was what really impressed me when I started to listen to the step study on the phone in a vision in, at the Vision for You meetings is this discussion about uh, the steps in the fast lane um, that um, I am <laughs> it's sort of very clear it says one um, I'm a food addict and where is that? Where is that wonderful line? Um, hold on a sec. Let me look. Um, uh, you know, it, we were food addicts and couldn't uh, that we were that we were um, um, alcoholic and could not manage our, our own lives. That God could and would have He were sought. Um, and so, basically, my my guide at the time says, just boil that down to two things. I'm screwed. God can help if I seek him. So what I had to do was seek him. So how do I seek him? 
that meant I had to clear away those things that were blocking me from my higher power. Um, and I had to do it fairly quickly because if I didn't do it fairly quickly, I was going to eat again. I knew it. I knew it in my bones. It was only a matter of time. Um, so what was impressed upon me was that I need to think about those people, principles, um, those people and principles that were causing me the most angst on a daily basis, day in and day out. And I didn't have to dig very far. They were right there. The people that I was angry at, I was talking to on the phone, on, uh, in my mind on my way to work, and I was arguing with them, and I was talking to my former boss who had marginalized me out, and I was saying, this is what I'm going to say to you when, I'm, you know, when I see you next, I'm going to say this and that. So just obsessing over certain things. It's the people that I was obsessing over that needed to be, needed to be on the list. And um, so the grosser handicap for me basically meant those, those things that are most egregious, that are most bothering and most important um, to, to let go of. And then um, what I know today is that um, when I work with people, uh, I, I say, we're not going to go back to your fifth grade science teacher. You're going you're to talk about the, the people that are really bugging you now. Um, and, or, or maybe there is someone from your past that um, where you were, um, you know, that, that you need to look at because it's still, you know, you're still feeling it. It's like resentment just means feeling the, feeling the feeling over and over and over again, someone said. So if there's someone that you're feeling that feeling with over and over and over again, that, that's who we need to talk about. And then, and then um, as you get into steps 10, 11, and 12, if you have that, that spiritual scaffolding set up in, in my life, then I deal with the resentments as they come up. Um, so grosser handicaps um, first, and then as I'm working 10, 11, and 12, um, uh, resentments as they, go, as they come along. So I hope that helps. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa B., for your question. Allison E., your question will be next. Thank you. Hi, we'll good morning. Hi, good morning, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I was wondering if you can talk about your daily routine. I'm trying to, you know, expand mine, and I was just wondering if you can talk about what you do on a, you know, I know you mentioned a couple of things, but like, you know, what you do in the morning and maybe before bed. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it varies, uh, but... The most important, I would say, thing is that I make contact with my higher power. How I do that has changed over time. But it is the absolute essential. In the morning, uh, I do quiet time and I read the pages or I say the pages uh, upon awakening and I, I review my day and I ask God to... Uh, divorce my thinking from self-pity, dishonesty, and um, um, self-centeredness. I also get on my knees in the morning. Just as I get out of the bed, out of bed, I say the third step prayer. Um, I commit my food to God, and then I say the seventh step prayer. Use me, God. And, and from my experience, God uses my defects as well as my. <laughs> even when I'm in difficulty, um, 
God uses my defects. So I ask God to use me, and then I'll go in, I'll, I'll often go into quiet time. If if not, then I if I am on my way to work, I listen to a vision for you meeting on the uh, on my way to work, and I connect with God, or I talk with a, another fellow, um, and I share something from the day before that I need to that I that I need to let go of because it's blocking me. Um, at some point, at early as early as possible in the day. I connect with my higher power. And there's this meditation that I want to read from June, June 16th. Um, it says, um, seek God early in the day before he gets crowded out by life's problems, difficulties, or pleasures. It's a very important line for me because, you know, oftentimes I, I slid back into compulsive overeating or um, back into this abstinence without a higher power. Um, I lost God because the pleasures of life. I was excited about what was happening in my life and I started to fall into that delusion that I was in charge. So I have to seek God early in the day. In that quiet time, gain a calm, strong confidence in the goodness and purpose to the universe. Do not seek God only when the world's struggles prove too much and too many for you to bear or face. Seek God early when you have a consciousness of God's spirit in the world. People often only seek God when their difficulties are too great to be surmounted any other way. Um, and it says, I pray I may not, not let God be crowded out by the hurly-burly of life. I pray that I may seek God early and often. And there is, the concept for me is to stay connected all through the day. There's a line um, uh, that, that and, and I know when I'm connected and when I'm not connected. Um, I can I can tell now because I do 10, 11, and 12 every day in my life when um, I am disconnected from my higher powers. So um, when I need to do a step 10 during the day, I do a step 10 during the day. Or I write some things down and I get to it later. Um, at the end of the evening, I think about my day. There was a time um, early in my... Um, early in this particular abstinence where I was working with a group of people on, um, on a, in a phone meeting, which is not OA approved, but it's a group of people who get together um, and do the 10th and 11th step on a daily basis in, um, uh, in pairs and rotate um, every two weeks. And that worked really well for me and was enormously helpful in um, and uh, as I was trying to build this relationship with the higher power um, on a daily basis. Um, my food is committed, um, and um, I sponsor people, and um, I need to be uh, sponsoring people on a regular basis to the best of my ability to keep myself in step one and keep myself honest in the food. That's an absolute must. So that kind of gives you a, a sense of my daily routine. It's 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 kind of changes, but the most important thing is throughout the day I am making connection with my higher power in prayer um, and I am thanking him and I am making making sure that, that um, I am keeping close. There's, there's this wonderful thing um, in, the, um, in, in um, Judaism, you know, they have the mezuzah, I'm not, I'm not espousing any religion, but it's kind of the concept I'm thinking of is there's a mezuzah over, the, over every door, and as you enter the door, you touch it, and that's when you think about God, and you think about 
going into the door and thinking, remembering God is one and God is with me as I enter this home and bless this home. Or when there's fringe, sometimes um, uh, Hasidic Jews have fringe in the bottom, the men have fringe in the bottom of their, their clothing. And that fringe is there, I'm told, so that they feel it throughout the day and then remind themselves when they feel it that God is one, that God is in charge, thy will be done. And so this is what I try to do um, in my day and so that the worldly clamors don't get in the way and I keep my channel open. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Alice. Allison. Sima, you're next, and then Kathy Kay will come after Sima. Your question, please, Sima. Sima M. Hi, this is Sima M., grateful compulsive overeater living in recovery. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. I really uh, related to a lot of story having been in OA for 43 years, but not abstinent most of that time. Uh, anyway, um, do you ever connect with God in a personal way? In other words, just in normal dialogue in your head, um, or is it always formal prayer? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, mainly it is... A, a feeling for me that I'm that of, of surrender. Um, it, it's the way I describe it. Um, when when I am connected with my higher power, it's as if I am. The day is a prayer. Um, I confront situations. The words come to me, and. Uh, and it was the right thing to say. And it's effective. And uh, I don't know where those words came from. And then I thank God for them. And I go, go and so I'm constantly thanking God um, for, and when I feel a little perfectionism coming in, like, oh, I'm feeling a little scared about that project, I pray. I ask God. I, I do a fear inventory, I do a lot of fear inventories. Um, remove and, 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 and I pick up the phone and I call someone and I do the fear inventory with someone. And that will always clear away the fear. God removes the fear, directs my attention to what he would have me be, and then I go on. And, you know, there are days when, you know, I'm, I'm praying every day and I get, to the, I get to the end of the day and I say, boy, I was in fear most of the day. Time to go to bed early. You know, if it's been a tough day, make it a short one so I go to bed. You know, for, for me, it is both um, the help of the established prayers that are in the big book and other prayers that I use um, that connect me with my higher power, but it's also just living my life and surrendering into the knowledge that it's his will, not mine, and that everything when I put my hands and when I put myself in God's hand, everything turns out better than I could have planned for myself. It's, it's been shown to me over and over and over. Um, if I surrender to God's will, then things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And in the process, um, I'm doing the best work I've ever done in my life. I am no longer pr plagued by perfectionism and procrastination. And my best work is ahead of me. And I've been in this career for 30 years. Um, and um, I'm doing it with God today. 
it's the only way I can do it. And um, I'm just very grateful. I hope that's helpful. It's a little nebulous, but it's hard, it's hard to, you know, put words around. No, thank you. Thank um, you, Thank you, Simma, for your question this morning. Kathy Kay, your question, please. Thank you, Melanie. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning okay. to you. Thanks for your service. And thank you, Elizabeth. It was wonderful to hear you. And I, I almost was going to say my question's been answered, but I'm going to pose it in a slightly different way. You mentioned um, towards the end of your talk that you still have days which are not easy and not God-filled. And um, I certainly experienced those um, less now than I used to. I used to live there 95% of my waking hours. But I sometimes question if I'm really recovered uh, because I still have those days when I feel disconnected from God and in lots of fear and worry. And I wondered, because you mentioned that you do have those days, what do you do on those days? Yeah, I had them one of those days Friday when I was stressing about this special edition. And um, getting myself into a fear spiral, that's what I call it. Um, those days are fewer and further between the more I work the steps of this program. Um, as it's laid out in the big book. And I guess the word that comes up in response to your question is action. Um, I can have doubts. On Friday, I thought, my God, I'm a nuts. I'm a nutcase. Am I not? And, and I know what you're talking about. Am I really, am I not recovered because I'm having this fear? And that's when um, the faith steps in. That's when I simply say, it's just today. This is only a feeling. It's not a fact. Um, do the things that you know have worked for other recovered people. Even though you don't think they're going to work, just do them anyway. And when I do that, it's sort of like, you know, I've heard, the, I've heard people say that love is not a feeling, it's an action. And that's, and this is the same concept for me. Um, so to be in love means that I do for my daughter, no matter what I, no matter what I'm feeling, you know, I try to be her, her guide, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter how tired I am or whatever, I just do it because I love her. And it's the same thing with this. When I'm in fear, I say to myself, I'm in fear. It's just my head. I give my head, my head, my broken brain to my higher power, and I do the disciplines. Action. I get into action. And the action, the first actions I have to do are the fear inventory, or I, or, and usually there's some kind of resentment that started it all off, so, and that, and, Almost all resentments come, come down to some fear um, that I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lose something and it will accelerate. So I have to get back to my, my one of my step guides says, oh, just get with God. Get with God. Get with God. Get with God. And for me, that means doing the disciplines 
and um, the good orderly direction that we have. And it, it passes, um, and it passes so quickly. It amazes me. It's like a miracle. I, like you, I used to live in this kind of fear 24-7, 365 days a year. And this is all the time, despite being treated with, by very caring medical professionals in fear all the time. When I was, uh, you know, in the pr in the program, working the working the program without a, I was basically going to OA, getting the diet plan, and um, and thinking that was enough. But it wasn't enough. I needed the higher power, and to connect with that higher power, and to keep that fear as a an exception to the rule in my life, I just do the I do the disciplines um, that 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 work for me, which is reach out get with God, allow my fellows to speak through God, write down, do my step work, 10, 11, and 12. That's, that's sort of how I would answer that. Action. It's really about action. Thank, Thank you, you, Kathy Kay. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Who else has a question for Elizabeth today? I would like to, if I may, and Michael. Hi, Michael. What's the first initial of your last name? M. M like Mary? Yes. I, I thank came you. in. Thank you. I came can in late, though. Can you give me just, Michael, can you just give me a moment? I'm going to see if there's anybody yes. else behind you, and then we'll get back to you. Thanks. Yes. Thank Laura you. G. Yes. has a question. Thank Carly. you. Laura G. Carly's the C. Somebody C. Carlisa. 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 This is Carrie okay. M. Carrie Eileen. M. Carrie M. Cheryl and Eileen. Is that M. And Cheryl. And Matt. Eileen. Madeline R., if there's time. Sorry. Madeline. Gladys. Gladys. Uh, okay, that sounds like a good lineup. That will probably be our last invitation, everyone. So if you had a question, now would be the time. Okay, that will be our lineup then. I'm going to give you it back and so you can kind of see what order you're in. Everyone else, if you please press star one besides Michael and Elizabeth. That would help quiet the line here a little bit today. I have Michael, Laura, Carlisa, Terry, Eileen, Cheryl, Matt, Madeline, and Gladys. Everyone else, please press star one on your phone keypad rather than just your own personal private phone. We're having some technical interference today. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Michael M., it is your turn now. Thanks for waiting so patiently. Yeah, hi. Thank you so much. Uh, I came in late, so I hope it's appropriate. I'm a long timer, and I, I'm, th I'm thanking High Power that I, I did, you know, I'm, uh, recently I had some medical news that just hurt, upset me with my heart. Um, and then two of my dearest friends passed away, one of 37 years, who I believe was one of us, but I think she, I believe she took her own life and would not use our program. Another one of cancer who I adored. And I, I kind of lost it. Now, you know, I, I am, I'm almost feel embarrassed. I know I shouldn't be because I, I want to remember physical, mental, and emotional, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I can be very emotional. And anyway, um, I seem to, I've been in 
program since I was a kid, and I'm pushing 70. So I've been around a long time, and thank God, the program has really changed my life in, in, in amazing ways. I had such a dedication. But what I seem to, what I not, what I do, is I've done this many times. I throw the baby out with the bathwater. I was so overwhelmed between the deaths and the suicide, and I bought a new apartment, and I'm older, and you know, starting from scratch, and not come down walls, and all these are luxury problems, and not all of them, but the apartment is, and I know they should be. And um, anyway, but I, I, I just became like a little twos. I wouldn't go to a meeting. I wouldn't. I just I I stopped my tai chi. I stopped my prayer. I stopped my reading. I stopped. And I would say I know I need to do it. I know that would help me all my life. But I don't. I'm not sure if it was like self punishment. I'm not. I'm not really sure. But all I know is I emotionally I got worse and worse. And, you know, I've had more therapy, those of us that are older than us, than Carter's Liverpool. I just don't exactly know how to push my... Formulate that into a question, please. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I don't know how to push myself into doing the right thing when I'm I'm at that stage. I mean, push myself to go to the meeting, do what I need to do. I just won't do it. Okay. yeah, the the uh thank you Michael. I'm grateful for this question. So 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 grateful. Um because I have I have been where you are so many times in OA. Um and the the operative thing that I heard you say that I want to address um is very simply the line you said, "How do I push myself into doing the things that I know I need to do. Well, here's what I've learned. I, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Some recovered felt when I was early in working the steps this last time, um, I had been relapsed over and over and over. I had lost my, par- my parents within nine months of each other. In 2012, I'd had a cancer diagnosis and you know, I had had, and, and I had relapsed again and again and again. And I just thought maybe I'm just one of those people who's constitutionally incapable of being honest. Finally, as I said in my story, um, I got desperate enough. Um, I put the food down. I got abstinent. Um, I asked God to be my food sponsor. And I, and I took things out of my food plan that I needed to take out of my food plan. Um, so I did these things because I was desperate. I was absolutely desperate and I fell back into my higher power. And when I was on the line with someone um, early on working the steps, um, I was talking and I was telling her what I was doing and I was telling her, you know, how I was working, you know, trying to work the steps. And she said, Elizabeth, you've been in relapse. What's going to be different this time? And I didn't know how to answer that question. She said, tell me what's going to be different this time. She said, because what I hear is that you are in your head. You still think you can figure this out. You still think that you have the power to get, to, to, to get recovered. And that was like a shot across my bow. And I realized, and she said, because Elizabeth, what you've got to know is that the seat of all motivation is in the heart. Let go of your thinking. This is the hardest thing for me. Let go of trying to push myself to do things, find the right sponsor, get to the right meetings, and then shaming myself when I don't do it. All 
I have to do is focus on right now and do the next right thing as God and get in touch with God. So that means I've got to take the actions. That means I need to be entirely abstinent and I just need to be, and I need to, to, to do the next right thing. For me, um, it, it's, it's not a mystery. It's surrender. It's surrendering to my higher power. And what happens when I surrender to my higher power and I just do the disciplines, and I just do them, whether I'm going to do them well or not, I just do them. Um, things, my higher power brings, puts people and things into my path that then make it, make it easier and it begins to build. So I would say take that, 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 that push myself into, that's got to go out of your vocabulary. Get into prayer, ask God what the next right thing is to do and do that thing good orderly direction. Um, find a recovered guide on the line. Um, here on the line this morning or during the 8 o'clock hour and ask for help. Um, so that would be my suggestion. Thank you, Michael M. Laura G., your question, and then Carlisa will come after you. Your question, please, Laura G. Laura, are you still with us? Well, let's move on then. And just in the interest of time, go with Carlisa, and we'll check back with Laura. Carlisa C., would you please ask your question this morning? Hi, good morning. Thank you, Laura, for your service, and thank you, Elizabeth, for yours. Every word I have heard has helped <laughs> and supported me. Every word. And um, the rumination pieces, like ruminations equals red flags, because I'm a big ruminator. Um, I, my question is, you mentioned two songs. I could not clearly hear the title of both. Would you repeat those, please? Uh, I'm sorry, the two... Um, songs. What were you... Absolutely. Oh, the two oh, songs. Yeah. Oh, Carlissa, thank you for asking. Um, we want to make sure that they're not outside issues, though, ladies, okay? Oh, okay, okay. sorry about that. All right, <laughs> Carlissa, let's talk separately. Let's talk separately. Thank you. I'll thank get you. My, my apologies, but thank you. No, 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 no. No, no, you're absolutely right. So I'm going to check one more time for Laura G. Am I being heard? Am I being heard? You are now. Yes, you are. Awesome. Hi, Laura. I think I, my phone, I did my phone meet, so I apologize. Um, so thanks for your service. This is Laura G, a compulsive overeater in California. Um, you mentioned a couple things that really... Um, touched me and the songs were one of them which I wrote down as well there's a feeling of um when you talk about how you do the step works when you do the step work with a new fellow and you are um you know you're always always you're always redoing step one and I and I understand that and realize that every time I've tried to work with another sponsor the same thing you know we're always redoing them and each person that I tried to do it with brings on a different experience um, so along those lines and how you say God speaks through others, which is what outreach is all about, I believe in working with another and, um, you mentioned something about, um, God is your food sponsor, which I still relate to. When you're talking to another, when you start to work with another, even before it's established that you are going to work with each other, do you bring that sense of, um, 
like identity in regards to your spiritual exercise, which to me is, is, the, is the crux, right? I mean, that's how we get recovered. Do you bring that in right away? Or do you wait and feel out the person in regards to where they are before you start engaging in that way? Um, yeah, it, with, a, with a new person, um, if they are brand new to, to OA, um, it's different than someone who's been in relapse over and over again. Um, if it's someone new to OA, uh, then I will ask the question, um, how, are, how are you about a higher power? Or, or you know, uh, th- and I will be clear that the, um, the, the way that I work my recovery is by connecting with God as I understand God. And, and my um, work with people is to help them find their higher power. If, do you, you know, how do you feel about religious issues? What's your religious background? So I'll usually try to get, like it says in working with others, try to get an idea of where they're coming from so that um, that way I don't come on too, too strong in the, in the beginning because I don't want to, you know, people who are new, are new are very fragile. So I want to make sure that I'm meeting them where they are in terms of their um, their journey, their spiritual journey, and I've sponsored people who are um, who are atheists, and um, and for them, God is is the group. It's good orderly direction. It's the great outdoors. <laughs> it's um, it's all kinds of different ways that they conceive it. So I bring in um, my higher power by being respectful of them first and asking where they're coming from. And then, um, and then slowly over time, um, we we work we work together on and it's a, there's just a lot of um, of uh, discernment and, and slow slow moving through that part um, early on. But you know, just a couple of ask a couple of key questions, and then I and I'll know how to go from there. Usually with people, somebody who's been in the program for a long time and is struggling with relapse, um, you know, I can usually. Uh, get right to it, and that fellow who said to me, "What's going to be different this time?" was critical um, because she really helped me identify that my head was in the way, and that the problem, because it centers in my mind, um, my my thinking is broken. So how can I try to think my way out of this problem that I have? I can't. I have to trust and rely on God, and that means get into my heart. So what I do with, with people is, the way I sponsor people is, and, and this is really important to me as I've been in my journey in OA, I do not have the corner on wisdom. Um, I heard that from my first, um, um, or from my most recent um, step guide, and I don't even like the word sponsor. I prefer the word guide. Um, the, the word sponsor isn't even in the steps, as far as I can tell. Um, but but the t- the chapter is is entitled working with others. So you know whether that's helping a newcomer or um, or making new fo- making phone calls to newcomers, that's working with others. Whether it's whether it's guiding someone through the steps, that's working with others. So when I'm when I'm working with others and and um, being a step guide, um, I I. 
make sure that my that I'm clear with them that my job is to um, help them find their higher power, not become dependent on me. When I was in structured OA, where there was a food plan, it was it was called 90 Day OA. It was very common to get from me. What I got dependent upon was the sponsor. Like this, and if the sponsor lost their abstinence, oh my gosh, you know, I'm I'm going to eat. You know, you can't. I've got this sponsor. It's working really well. I can't lose a sponsor. I'm going to eat. What I've what I've begun to understand is that wonderful line um, that uh, that is in working with others that I think is so critical and I go back to over and over and over. It's on page 98 where it says, uh, burn into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. So, you know, it says up above, it says, the minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. So my job is to get out of the way and to and to help them find their higher power. And sometimes, you know, that is from, they find their higher power by talking to other people. So when I sponsor people, you know, I want them, you know, their assignment is to talk to other recovered people about what we're studying in the steps. Because eventually, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to need to call me anymore unless they need me and then I'm always there for them. But um, I find that that way of working make sure that I'm getting my ego and my issues of control out of the way and the focus is on finding the higher power. For they're, they're finding their own definition of a higher power that will relieve their food addiction. So I hope Thank that you helps, so much. Laura. <laughs> Thank you so much, Laura, for your question. Terry M., you're next with your question and Eileen will come after you. Star one, Terry. Let's scoot on then to see if we can get a hold can of you hear, Eileen. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, this is this Terry? If this is Terry, you betcha. Yep, I can. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Actually, my question was also about the songs. So I'm hoping Elizabeth will give her contact after so I can get the name of those songs. Yeah, we'll do that later. She will definitely do that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's go then to Eileen. Eileen, are you there? Press star one. Your question for Elizabeth. Hi, this is Eileen M. I'm uh, gratefully recovered. And uh, yeah, thank you, Elizabeth, so much. Such a good story. So good to hear you and great questions. Um, I was just looking for the source of that reading that you read for June 16th. The seek God early in the day. I'll um I'll I'll do that. We'll do that separately. I'm happy to help with that. Okay. Great. Great. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk later. Eileen, what's your last initial? It's Amazon Mary. Okay, Eileen. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely share that with you later. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks for, so much for respecting that tradition. Okay, Cheryl A, your question. Thanks, Melanie. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning to you. Good morning. Elizabeth, it's so wonderful to hear you. It is You are precious, and it's been um, a joy to watch your journey. Um, my question is about uh, service, 
And when you have been working with sponsees who've gotten through to the 12th step, what does that relationship look like as they've um, as they go move on to, to sponsor others uh, relative to how much you used to speak to them um, while they were going to get it going through the steps and how often you speak to them um, uh, once they've gotten through all of them. And I'm just curious uh, what that looks like for you. Um, thanks, Cheryl. Um, uh, I, t I will tell you that because I have been working the 12 steps this way um, in abstinence for a year and a half. Um, and because I am a single working mother, um, I sponsor, um, I don't sponsor a lot of people. And um, what I do most of my working, well, a lot of my working with others is calling newcomers. Um, because I, I, I'm not, I don't have the lifestyle or the, and the luxury, I wish I did, to be able to um, sponsor a lot of people. So um, I haven't gotten anyone to the 12th step. I haven't, there haven't been a lot of people that I've worked with. And, um, and that's okay. Um, early on, I used to think, oh, well, that means I'm not a good sponsor. And that doesn't mean that at all. Um, other people that I've worked with have gone on to do the twelve have gone on to the twelve step with someone else, and I was just someone along the way to help them wherever they were in their journey. Um, but what I can tell you, what I will tell you, is what it looks like with my current guide. Um, so this, the current guide that I have, and I, um, we started working together in in January two thousand seventeen, and. She said to me at one point early on, you know, eventually you won't be calling me anymore. And I freaked. I said, what do you mean I'm not going to be calling you anymore? Isn't this forever? This is for life, right? I mean, this is the way you do it in 90-day OA. You have one sponsor and they have, you know, if it's working. I said, no, my, my role is to help you find your higher power. And you won't need me anymore. Once you have found a working relationship, a daily connection with your higher power, you won't need me the way you needed me, the way you think you need me now. And I had no idea what that meant until it happened to me. And I realized that, yes, there are times when um, I need her, um, her suggestions and she is there for me. So what it looks like for me is I got to the 12th step myself and started sponsoring people and knew that I had to start to sponsor people and was doing it in a, you know, in, a, in a way that I felt was really confusing and bad and whatever. So I was on the phone with her regularly. So we were talking once a week, and we, you know, as I started sponsoring, I was still talking to her. Then as I was growing in recovery, I was finding that I didn't need to talk to her. And that promise that she made to me that someday I wouldn't need her as much started to come true. And I said, you know what? I don't think we need to talk this week. So I only reach out to her when I need her. And by the way, <laughs> she was one of the people I called on Friday when I was in my fear spike spiral, my rumination circle. Uh, she, I, I texted her and she was available. That's how she is. She's available to me when I need her. And that is the way I will sponsor going forward. I'm hoping someday when my daughter is... Uh, you know, there's going to be a time when she's off on her own when I can do this work full time. 
in retirement. That is my hope. If it's God's will, I will be sponsoring a lot of people um, all at the same time, but right now that can't work for me. But I hope that my explaining how it's worked with me and my current step guide um, is, is helpful. Is that helpful? Thank you, Cheryl A., for your question. Thank you. Matt M., you're next with your question, and then Madeline will come after you. Thank you. Matt M., stay with you for? Yes, please. Uh -huh. Might have jumbled things there a bit. Oh, thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt M. I'm with the Postal over here. Thank you very much for your qualification, Elizabeth. Um, I've been struggling a lot lately with dealing with being connected to the program, being connected to my fellows. I've been isolating a lot. And because I've been coming up, a lot of emotions have been coming up since I've been, I've been in and out of the food. When I'm not in the food, all these emotions come up, and so I don't know what to do, do with them. And it's like like years and years of crap come up, and like um, I, I'm so used to stuffing it down with food. And, um, and I struggle with the God thing, like being connected to a higher power, because I don't feel like I, don't feel like I, I guess, deserve to have one. And um, I guess what my problem is, like, I want to feel connected again to the fellowship and, and, to, the, and to the meetings and to, the, and to the program, but I've just been really feeling disconnected lately, and, like, um, it's not a nice feeling. It feels really crappy, and um, I don't want to just sit here wallowing in it. I just want to be able to get out of this, but like you said, now that I'm not thinking as much about food, uh, what do I do with all these feelings that are coming out? So that's what my question was. Thank you. So, um, Matt, you know, for, for me and the few people that I've worked with, um, and, and this was definitely my case, in my case, um, that, that disconnect and that, that craving for the higher power and connection um, is because somehow or some way I was, I was blocked from my higher power. And... Um, and when I'm when I don't have a connection with a higher power, um, I feel that sense of anxious apartness that you're talking about. And I feel it, and sometimes really acutely. And I think that it's my job to get myself out of it. It's not my job to get myself out of it. It's not my job. That's the first thing. It's it's an asking for God. And it's a seeking for God, and you know, there's something I, I one of the one of the transformations for me in reading the Big Book was uh, something that I heard um, um, one of the fellows say that uh, I for years in a way I thought food was the problem, um, and then I discovered that food was the solution for me, that it was where I went when I was happy, sad, lonely. That is, it was the power that I sought to deal with my life because of, of my, my various defects. Um, and so what I needed to do was get entirely abstinent, and maybe this is a question of looking at your food plan and seeing if there's something that may be triggering um, this uh, return to uh, to, 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 to wanting to, or this impulse to be self-sufficient. Um, so what I have to do when I get into those situations, I have to remember that food is not the solution, that, um, that these feelings are going to come and they're normal and they're not facts, and I give them to God. 
um, and one one day at a time. Um, and it's it, for me, it's just about taking action and um, in faith and in abst- in abstinence. Um, so maybe maybe for you, it's it's time to do another. Uh, step study or refresh yourself in the steps again. I, I don't know. I can't say, but um, get with your higher power. That would be my suggestion. And um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Madam, for your question. Madeline R., your question, please, and then we will conclude with Gladys's question after that. Good morning, Madeline. Good morning. Thank you so much. This is Madeline R. from Pennsylvania. Thank you very much for your share. Just very quickly, you shared about um, the procrastination at work and how that was, you didn't use the word stealing, maybe you did, but how that was stealing. And can you just elaborate on that just for a second or two? I, I don't want to take a lot of time, but I kind of didn't get the whole point. Yeah. Um, so in, I've, had a, I've been in the same career for 30 years and have developed some mastery in it and yet uh, my disease manifests itself all through um, you know, the first 10 years of my journey in a way and the second 10 years. It, it manifests itself in uh, a system of thinking that says I'm not good enough and that I have to work harder than everyone else to be, to get, to, to be half as good. And, um, and my procrastination is, um, is a real form of insanity for me because it says if I just put that off and wait, something will get better. Well, invariably, um, it, things don't get better. Um, whatever I'm procrastinating over, will fester in my inbox and then it's a process of me covering my butt so that nobody knows that I haven't gotten to that project that I'm supposed to get to. So the perfectionism leads me to procrastination and in everything but especially in work. And when I am in that place, work does not get done. I simply slow way, way down. And when I am, however, when I am connected with my higher power, like it says in the steps, we don't waste time, we don't struggle, we get to the most, and so what I do is I just do the first things first. So what I was getting at in the, in the stealing is that, that with that issue is, I was not taking seriously enough this last time that I did the steps, how? My procrastination was costing my, my employer money because I wasn't getting my work done. You know, when I was in the food this last time, the last relapse, you know, I was doing 20% at work and the rest of the time I was fig- figuring out how to get food or how to avoid um, the consequences of my procrastination and perfectionism. And, and I was waking up in the morning with a sense of dread that, okay, I've got to spend the day figuring out how to pre- pretend that I know that, how to do this job when really I don't know how to do this job. So therefore, you know, I've got, what about that project and putting it off and putting it off? Meanwhile, I'm not efficient. I'm not doing my work. And at my salary, I'm costing my employer money. So when, when I started, to, when I read that in the step, it just was like a light 
just turned on and I realized this is infinitely grave, this fear. This, this, is, this is the reason why you were marginalized out of your other job. Because food or abs- abstinences, I was practicing it or whatever, had become the solution, not God, not my higher power. So um, today, um, I, you know, I'm not, I haven't totally outgrown fear, as I'm sure it's become clear um, from, to people who have been listening this morning. I have not outgrown fear entirely. But day by day, it's getting better. And those periods of fear and procrastination are shorter and much fewer and f- further between. And as I said, I'm, I'm doing the best work that I've ever done. And I feel as if my living amends to my job today. Um, and by the way, I did make amends to my boss about, about this, direct amends to my boss. And um, it, was a, it was a godsend and it, uh, uh, on just this issue. And, um, and I, I made it right with her and she with me. And um, I'm doing the best work I've ever done in my life and my best work is ahead. I know it as, so long as I continue to um, work the steps of this program and seek a seek a relationship with a higher power every day. Thank you for the question, Madeline R. And the last question for today, this morning, is Gladys S. Gladys S., your question, please. Yes, can you hear me? I can. Good morning, Gladys. Good morning. Uh, my name is Gladys S. Um, I so enjoyed, it, enjoyed the uh, meeting this morning, uh, the sharing, and I just wanted to... Uh, Come in, come in and speak on her decision to care for a child. And also, I had a couple of questions, but the, I had a question about honesty and a couple other questions, but you said you answered them all as the time was going by. But um, so I felt, I felt like my higher power want me to ask the question about where I'm really at. Um. And that is feeling really, really battle-weary over sponsorship. Uh, I have not worked with a sponsor in a while, and um, I've been in relapse, uh, gaining like almost a 50-pound tag of a 70-pound loss. And um, I've been in the program for a lot of years, so I work with a lot of sponsors and I did have really two good sponsors, um, which one died. But basically what I really want to say is now I'm I'm just, I've been kind of free of my really addictive foods for a a few days, but I am so fearful about working with a sponsor, you know, and this disease to tell me, you know, I could do it by myself. You know, but the fear of working with a sponsor, it's like it's winning. It's winning. And so I just wanted to ask you, do you have anything to say to me about that? Yeah. um, I've been there. I've been there before many times. And it, for me, um, willingness is overrated. I needed to be desperate. Um, I needed to to be in a place where uh, my power, I, I, I just had to, to surrender. And what that meant for me was um, let God 
put somebody in my path. Just trust. Do show up for meetings. Go to the meetings where I know people are going to be asking for sponsors or are going to be identifying as sponsors and then asking someone who's recovered to help me. And God will do the rest. Fear of working with a sponsor? You know, I remember for me that fear was they're not going to, I can't, I, I, I can't work with a sponsor because, or find a sponsor because I need to find a sponsor who will let me lose all this weight, all this weight, and um, so go on a really small, you know, like a, a dieting sort of food plan, and then let me bring back the foods that I want into, the, into my food plan. And I, sort of like I wanted to make the perfect sponsor for myself. And there was no perfect sponsor. There is no perfect sponsor. There's only people who will help guide me to find my higher power. And I had to be absolutely desperate and 70 pounds up, up the scale and unable to stop eating um, and just prostrate before I finally realized I can't do this on my own. I got to ask somebody for help. And so, you know, my suggestion would be, yeah, you got that fear. You say, God, I have this fear. Remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. Trusting him. Going to the vision for you, um, the eight o'clock meeting and, or to a local meeting and just trusting and relying on someone and getting your head out of the way. You know, like it's, it just sounds like you're overthinking it a little bit. And, um, and you just need to trust and rely on God to put the right sponsor into your path. And the right sponsor will not be perfect. The right sponsor will be God's choice, not yours. Thank you very much, Gladys, for your question. And that ends the question and answer portion of this meeting. And I wanted to um, remind you and assure you that we will gather Elizabeth's contact information at the conclusion of this meeting. The share ID for this meeting today, Sunday, June 17, 2018, is 11,548. 11548. And we will close this meeting like we do all of our meetings with page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the fellow that, who is, that is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until